0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye singing dog. No! Bye goal. I pronounce you. Bye a wedding ceremony. Stop at Metro PCS. You get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K twenty plus phones with thirty two gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS, wireless figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: You are locked on Vikings. Your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of
0: the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. It's an off day for the purple. They are simulating a game week. So practice Monday, off Tuesday, practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, off Saturday, game Sunday. That's what they have going this week. And they practiced indoors yesterday because of a certain eclipse that occurred at about 1.06 p.m. Now, I don't don't totally think that's crazy for the Vikings to cancel. Some people might call it paranoia. But with the possible darkness being one factor, the possible danger being the other factor of actually looking into it, Mike Zimmer said he's only got one good retina left. Got to protect it. There's also the distraction part of it, and the possible threat of rain yesterday kind of pushed it over the top. And Mike Zimmer told us that he would just watch it on CNN. So he's not really one for sentimentality. I mean, if you look around the league, you saw Vance Joseph with the Broncos and Pete Carroll with the Seahawks, and I think the Ravens too were watching. Some teams just canceled football activities for a few minutes and just enjoyed the phenomenon. That wasn't the case for Minnesota. And and in this particular state, they didn't miss much. While the Vikings were stretching and warming up, the lion's share of the beat writers and TV guys were outside passing around one pair of approved eclipse glasses just trying to catch a second of the eclipse through the clouds. If the eclipse had been at 11 a.m., it would have been great. But the clouds rolled in over Eden Prairie at about noon, 1230, and then by 1 you were just waiting for that part where you could see the eclipse and you couldn't see a thing without the glasses. I mean, first of all, the human eye shouldn't be looking into it anyway, but if it was, you wouldn't be able to contrast the moon and the sun. It just looks like one big shining light. The glasses are pretty cool. And I think the reaction for a lot of us was oh, cool, very nice. But it wasn't the type of astonishment that I'm hearing from people who went to Missouri or Kansas or people out in Oregon, in Wyoming. The path of totality was allegedly very, very cool. And in Minnesota, it didn't get dark whatsoever. I was expecting a dusky kind of feel to the moment where at least even if you couldn't see it, you would say, wow, this is eerie. It's one o'clock and it feels like it's eight o'clock. That wasn't the case. And I assume it's because of the cloud cover. It looked perfectly normal. So I'm glad I had the glasses. And I recounted yesterday how I was frantically trying to get a hold of them because I was scared about blindness after reading all these publications. But very cool for the people who experienced it completely. Disappointing for the people in Minnesota who were hoping to get a piece of that because it was probably pretty underwhelming for a lot of you and Mike Zimmer can rest more easily, perhaps, knowing that, and knowing that he kept his vision intact. He's still trying to get his other eye corrected, the one that was surgically repaired. He said that he's only seeing about 2,100 out of that eye. Now, my vision's like 2,500, so I I would love 2,100, but I'm sure that still makes it tough, And, and I assume with glasses that's getting corrected... He said they hope to get it to 2040, best case scenario. So and that's with correction. Don't ask me why they can only get to 2040 and not just the rest of the way to 2020, but but I'm sure it beats the alternative, blindness, which was probably a very real risk for Mike Zimmer at some point. I'd say the big takeaways from yesterday, at least for me, the discussion with offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, who complimented Pat Elfline, complimented Nick Easton, and talked about the interior offensive line combinations. Now, the Vikings did not have Alex Boone last week, so they go with Easton left guard, Elf Line center. Now Boone comes back, and the question is who's going to play center against San Francisco? Easton took most of the first team reps yesterday, but Elf Line came in during situational drills. Interestingly enough, there was a question about whether the Vikings could possibly replace. Boone or Berger in the starting lineup with Easton or Elfline, because they've both been working at guard and center. And it wasn't a ringing endorsement for the veterans. Shermer didn't say either way, but I think when you get a question like that, you can easily say that Boone, Berger, they're our guys. They've been here a long time. Berger's got a lot of equity in this team. Boone's got a big contract. We're rolling with them. And that wasn't said. He said, we want the best five guys. We got a couple weeks left. And maybe that's just giving lip service to the concept of battles on a team, that you never want to be secure, even if you're Stefan Diggs, even if you're Sam Bradford, you still want to compete. And maybe that's just the company line, that nobody is secure in their spot. But it does pique your interest when you see him complimenting Nick Easton's work so lavishly. Here's what he said about Nick Easton at left guard. He was very active in there. He moved his feet and did a good job of getting to the second level. He did a good job in our screen game, but yet was physical enough to block on the line of scrimmage. He passed off a couple of twists real well, so all the things you're looking for, unquote. The offensive line was definitely better in game number two, and that was with Easton at left guard. So if that's the the caveat there, I guess you have to consider it, although it would be disappointing to have your big money left guard not starting, and I'm sure Boone would have a thing or two to say about that. And I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I think Boone is still the guy. And I think Boone maybe got a bad rap last year based on all of the dysfunction around him. I think he was one of the stronger pieces on the line later in the season. And I think he never had any continuity on either side of him either. So I I like Boone as the starter. But I did think it was interesting that there wasn't exactly a denial there when asked if somebody could step in at left guard or maybe even right guard and fill in. They'll get some more combinations for this next game. And they'll include Riley Reef at left guard for the first time. And that'll be nice to finally see that line intact. And if, and if it goes Reef, Boone, Elfline, Berger, Remmers, I think that could definitely be your week one starting line. Good to see some injured guys getting back. Trey Waynes, Anderson Deho, Kentrell Brothers all getting back to work. Riley Reef, Latavius Murray doing a lot more. Laquan Treadwell the team is getting healthier. Brian Robison was not practicing yesterday. He was the most notable of the non-participants. There have been a lot of allusions to Teddy Bridgewater's reactivation on Twitter, but it has not happened yet. In fact, there was nothing different about Teddy. He was rehabbing. He was with his strength and conditioning coach. He was doing lateral agility. He was doing some strength conditioning. But if The rumor, and again, I think it's an ungrounded rumor. There has not been a good source on it. If it were to be true, then that activation would have to occur pretty quickly if you wanted to see Teddy in preseason game number four. That's nine days away. And while I think he's probably up to speed mentally, he's been in the meetings, he's still going to have to get ready physically. So I still think it's a long shot for Teddy to actually get reps in this preseason. Despite all the optimism guy who's gotten a lot of reps is Dalvin Cook. And I really liked what Shermer said about Cook yesterday. Quote, I thought he displayed good vision. He's trying to do what we're coaching him to do, yet he's very natural in his ability to run the football. So he's not thinking too much. Back to the quote, there were a couple seams he hit there that were pretty tight that became almost explosive runs. You see a guy that's disappointed when he doesn't make the safety miss. That's a good thing because one of those times when the safety does miss, that could be a touchdown. That's Shermer talking about Dalvin Cook. I went back and I looked at those three nearly explosive runs. First of all, it's ironic because for years, Adrian Peterson demanded that he be a single setback, quarterback under center type ball carrier. And I think the assumption was that, okay, with Cook, the Vikings will run him out of shotgun. He'll have more success that way. And funnily enough, against Seattle, he had that stretch of three runs for 33 yards every single one, single setback, quarterback under center, between the tackles. Just just wiggling between bodies. Incredible vision. I mean, when you run between the tackles, you have to have good vision because you're constantly navigating in these tight corridors. And the more I watch him back, the more impressed I am with that sequence of runs. And I think Cook's actually further behind the line of scrimmage than Adrian Peterson ever was. I mean, he's Nine, ten yards behind the line of scrimmage as he gathers momentum. And while he had more shotgun runs against Buffalo, they went more to the under center style against Seattle. So the more things change, the more they stay the same, I suppose, with Cook seeming to thrive with that under center style.
0: list.
1: I'm really excited about a piece I'm working on at zonecoverage.com. It should be out on Wednesday. It's The Art of the Snap, chatting with Vikings players about snaps. I guess you could call it snapchat, but trying to add a different layer to a play that I think fans oversimplify a little bit until the center ends up launching it over the quarterback's head, and it's an important play to watch because You're probably going to have a new center this year, Pat Elfline. And last year with Nick Easton, when he got a couple games to start at center, there were some growing pains. There were some some cadence, miscommunications, a a really bad snap against Green Bay in that road game where he got caught on the grass and didn't go anywhere. The snap is a little more difficult than people make it out to be, and then some light will be shed on that in that Wednesday release, the art of the snap. So, the Vikings back at it tomorrow at Winter Park, as well as Thursday and Friday, a long preparation week for San Francisco. And I can confirm yesterday that the Vikings were watching film of the 49ers. So, don't let anybody tell you that they're not preparing for this game. Film on the 49ers on Monday. We mentioned that they're preparing as if it's a game week, and that includes, I think, the film part of it as well. This is Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.